Welcome to Percussion Perspectives, a podcast by Henrik Knabor Larsen and Håkon Steinen. Each episode of Percussion Perspectives features one or more musical artists in conversation about musical education, practice and aesthetic and sociological perspectives. In June 2021, we met with German percussionist and educator Christian Dierstein in the beautiful surroundings of his hometown, Freiburg. Since the 1990s, Christian has been one of the most active and influential percussionists in contemporary music. As a member of ensembles such as Ensemble Recherche, Trio Acanto, and as a soloist and commissioner of a large body of works, and not least as a professor of percussion at the Basel Academy of Music, which houses one of the best percussion classes in Europe in the field of experimental and contemporary music. Kristen has performed in countless halls and festivals all over the world and has collaborated with some of the most significant composers of our time. In our chat, Kristen talks about his multifaceted education, how he tried to get inspired rather than confused by all the different inputs he was exposed to, how he managed to find his own voice as a performing artist, and what keeps him inspired today, 35 years into his career. Okay, so today I am speaking to um, percussionist Christian Dierstein and I'm here in his studio in the Ensemble House in Freiburg. And so Christian, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. We know each other for quite a long time and it's a pleasure talking to you. So um, yeah, the first thing I wondered, if you could tell us a little bit about how you started music and percussion and how you got into building your career which, from my understanding, is threefold. You have a solo career, a chamber music career with Ensemble Recherche, and one with the Trio Canto, and also as a teacher and professor in Basel, of course. Um, and maybe you do more things like composing or improvising or cooking. Improvising, yes. Yes, improvising. And then you know you also had a passion for um, Iranian Zarb drumming. Yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're a hardworking guy. <laughs> Always latest in bed, always first up in the morning and the Darmstadt courses. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just uh, give us an insight in how it all started for you. How it all started then? Well, we have to go a bit back. There's a small history. Um, I come from Freiburg here. That's my hometown. I grew up in a small village nearby. So Freiburg was a big city, which is not at all true. But uh, at this time, it was the big city. And I often went with my grandfather to the symphony concerts here in the town hall. And it was a theater orchestra, which is a, let us say in German, it's a B orchestra. So it's it's okay. And uh, surely as uh, we were, we had places uh, quite up very high in the theater. And so from time to time, somebody stood up behind and he played the cymbals. And it was so amazing for me, just this ceremony, taking up these cymbals and playing them. And then it was a big boom and the whole orchestra played loud because he wanted to play loud. And I thought, wow, that's the job. <laughs> yeah, they really, they all wait that he's playing the cymbals. So I said to my grandfather and to my mom, I want to have lessons with, I want to be like him. So, and the nice story is then that my mother, then she phoned at the theater and she asked, who is this man? And... 
they said, yet yeah, it's Mr. Pung. So it was Hans Pung who was the first percussion player in the orchestra. At this point, I didn't knew that he was an alcoholic and that he had really quite a lot of problems in family. And so, but I started with him at the age of of six. I remember. Then I always went into the town, and I was quite afraid of all these cars because I came from this small village, uh, just outside a bit in the black forest. And I went there, and I went to in the. So this was, let us say, it was seventy two, seventy three, or seventy one. I don't know this time. I went there and it was, surely it was in the basement. It was a small room with a with drum set and he was smoking the whole time. Really, <laughs> incredible nowadays. He was smoking the whole time. He was not telling very much things and he had there his two days of teaching and it was clear it was in between, in between his, his working sessions in the theater. To tell the truth, he was a super frustrated uh, percussion player and he always said to me, if you want to get percussion player, you have to murder another one because you won't get a job. <laughs> so in a way, it was quite frustrating to start, but I had this in mind that I want to be a percussion player. It was not clear if this should be in an orchestra or in a rock band. Surely afterwards we created our rock band with 11, 12, we had a... It was called Black Point, the, the band, and we were two players, a guitar player and the drums, and we played over the high... My mother, this was, the for me, really the challenge that my mother was a teacher, school teacher, music teacher in school, so I always had the key for the school, so we could always work there. So this means we did there our rehearsals in, in the... In the Music rooms, and truly we crashed the hi-fi hi <laughs> hi uh, amplifier, stereo, because we were just too loud or we didn't take care or however. So we had a lot of these small problems, what you have. And to say I went there uh, every week to this drummer and we, uh, in the, from the theater, Mr. Pung, and he teached me with a Russian school because I think he came from the East. And it was really the once, two, and three, and four, and once. And it was just super boring. But I thought I'll be Ringo Starr, so I just have to do this. <laughs> so I did this for three years or something like that. And then he was I thrown out of the school. I don't know what happened. Uh, there was I don't know what happened. And then uh, another type, another guy came, and he was very friendly, very good, maybe not the best drummer, but very motivated and... There I started to yeah to play more drum set and this was good, and then after a while because I came quite from a more classical family so they they were all quite um, thinking that it's it's nice to play drum set but the real music is classical music so. So when I was then 14, 15, then I started to play in some uh, amateur orchestras, uh, symphonic amateur orchestras. I started to play that timpani, so I took some other uh, lessons with timpani with Mr. Pung again. And uh, then I started to, because my mother always thought, yeah, but it's nice, but there's a Musikhochschule, so there's, there's really this academic way. So she got me close to, to our both teacher, to Bernhard Wolf. And Bernhard Wolf, he thought, yeah, why not? Okay. Okay, I think he was just, my mother had a good talk with him. And so he said, yeah, okay, she should pass by. I did an exam and then suddenly I was in the Hochschule. And then I remember the first project was um, was Stravinsky. Uh, it was not Sacre du Printemps, but it was Feuervogel, Firebird. 
And uh, I remember there was 16, 15, 16. I came there to the first rehearsal. It was only uh, percussion players. This is the late 70s now? It's the late what? 70s. Yeah. yeah, this should have been, yeah, 79, yeah. 80s. Which means, 80s. so Bernard started the school in 73 or 74. So he was in, still in his 20s, more or less. Yeah, he was still had a young class, very, let us say, very... So Stephen Schick was there, Andreas Böttger was there, uh, Pete Klinkenberg was there, Gregory uh, Jones was there, so not Gregory Jones, Gregory Riffle was there, uh, Olaf Chopper, so there were quite quite some people where, quite which was yeah. super interesting. Also, I remember very much at this point, I really, I thought, what is this strange piece everybody is working on? Everybody was working on Zyklus. Andreas Böttger, he was working... Over years, over years, he had one room where he just worked cyclists and nobody was allowed to take out anything. <laughs> so no queer, no symbol. It was just his room and he was working super hard on cyclists. And I thought it must be really frustrating to do this work. So I, in a way, it was not my thing, I think. And surely uh, this was a time also, Romeo Gaba Helferich, she was there, so... Uh, she played together with Robin Tchaikovsky at this time. This was they were passing people. It was and you quite had uh, Klaus Huber teaching composition, Brian Fernihau teaching absolutely. composition. Absolutely. So there was a, like a really profile, high profile, absolutely music high profile. Section. It was really so. Uh, in a way, it was super interesting. Really, uh, Nunes was also there. Kaisadiao maybe. Yeah. Also, there were quite quite a lot of people passing by. Cornelius Schwer was already there. Johannes Schellhorn was there. So um, it was an interesting time, but in a way it was for me a bit too academic. So in a way I had always at the same times I had uh, jazz lessons with a quite good Rolf Kichlin. He's called a very good uh, jazz drummer. He played a lot here. With, he was touring with Michael Sagmeister and really a good, very groovy guy. And he was relaxed. He was cool. So. In a way, this was more my way. In a way, I, this academic world at this moment was for me not so interesting. So this means when... Um, then I was very much in the political scene, I have to say, with 16 to 18. So I wasn't in music. I always passed by. I was working a bit, but I was working there, Marimba, Telemann, and I was working the Kraft, William Kraft Suite and things like this. It was interesting. I was also a bit in new music. It was interesting, but I, um, there was maybe one or two movements. There moments. This was one when Jean-Pierre Drouet, he passed by. He did a solo concert. He was invited by André Richard, who is the, was at this point the director of the New Music Institute. And this was, there suddenly I felt something. I thought, wow. What is the, he's doing? He was talking and he was acting and he was he was just there was a spirit. I thought, wow, wow, here happened something. This this is really interesting. But in a way, then he, after two days he went away and the workshop was away. Okay, in a way I forgot. So I went afterwards. I thought I must be. I want to be jazz drummer. So this means after the um, my my uh, school time, I went to Paris. I didn't want to go to the States because politically at this point it was just regular area and it was just out to go to the States. It was in a way, now you should not go there. It was just no capitalism. So I was, I thought I'd go to Paris 
And uh, I did there a school, uh, it was a jazz school. I did two jazz schools. One was a bit more freer, more in the free jazz direction. It was interesting, but there was not really, nobody was really teaching there. So on the other hand, I went to this Agostini school, Dante Agostini school, which was at this time one of the books as a drummer you should do. And so you can imagine we were in a very small room, four or five drum set players playing, then one, two, solo of Max Roach. Okay, you did the Max Roach solo, then Alvin, Alvin Jones solo. You were all reading. It was super boring, super fast, but you, I had no perspective with this. It was just not really interesting. It was like a, a fabric. You just learned how to... Was it in a way a style study of the great American jazz drummers Absolutely. that he notated and kind of made academic in Absolutely. a way? Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. the kind of... And there was nobody who was reeling there where you, where you were really fascinated. The teacher, he was good, but it was not interesting. There was no person where really who fascinated me. So in a way, I did it and I was working on it. I was living there in Paris with really no money. I was living in a squat and I had my drum set with me. I was working, but I was a bit lost, I have to say. And then I was in a concert in uh, in the uh, Centre Pompidou and Jean-Pierre Drouet, he played again there. He played together a solo concert with Carlos Alcina Rocco, who was the piano player and composer. He did a ninth solo piece, Themen. It's not very much played. It's also a big setup. Not very much played. An Argentinian piano player and composer. So they did a duo concert, and I don't know what the way... I think he played also Global Cartouche. And afterwards, I went to him and I said... Ah, do you remember? I saw you in Freiburg. He said, oh, yeah, 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 okay. And we were talking and I said, do you give lessons? And he said, oh, no, not really. No, it's not my thing. But uh, I have a colleague. And this was Gaston Silvestre. So one of the trio of this famous trio, Trio Le Cercle. He's teaching in Rue Malmaison, which was a, not the Conservatoire National, which was an outside conservatory. And so next day I went there. And uh, then Gaston Silvestri, he came, and he's a super nice South French, I think he's coming from Marseille person, really. Um, he saw me and said, oh, hello, nice to have you here, okay, and then, and uh, so we start, <laughs> okay, and then I was in the class. And after half a year, he asked me, by the way, do you have an inscription in the school? <laughs> An inscription? Must, must I have an inscription? Yes, you should. Yeah, maybe you should pass by the secretary. But they asked me, because you're working here every day, and they asked me, who's this guy who's there all the time? So then I went to the secretary, and I did an inscription, and it costed money. And then, okay, okay, it's like that. Yeah. So I was there with him, and he came. This was, for me, in a way, this was maybe the the person I was searching for. He came by always two days in the week and he came there in the morning around 10 or 11 and then he just knocked at the door and said, do we have a lesson today? And you said, ah, maybe later in the afternoon. Okay, later in the afternoon. And so he passed by in the whole building and he was just looking who's there, okay, and just asking, do you want a lesson? And if you didn't want to have a lesson, it was okay. Then he was working, he was working his own things. And uh, so I really had a good time because we were doing some percussion ensembles. So we did the classics, Amora's Cage, we did Lou Harrison. Uh, but we also did some Apergis pieces. And 
in a way you saw because he was working in the same school in in a way he was when he had nothing to do he was working on his pieces so this means he was working on on uh, on bach fugues because they wanted to play this as a trio and uh But this is also the group who kind of uh, pioneered music theater by Apagis, by Battistelli, by all these guys. Absolutely. In the 70s. Absolutely. And he was working on this, but he was working also on Bach, and it was such a lot of wrong notes. It was incredible. Okay. Yeah. Because, uh, in a way, uh, Drouy, he was a fantastic pl piano player, and he, he played, I don't know how many. I met him not a long time. I think he played 700 times Bartok Sonata, for example. 700 times. And uh, uh, so he was, in a way, Gaston Sivester, he was more the inventive guy who just had a lot of crazy ideas. But to tell the truth in technique, because at the same time I started then, because I had this contact with uh, Rumi Ogawa uh, from Ensemble Modern, uh, she often called me, just a week before or two days before, Christian, can you come? I have problems with my shoulder. Or uh, She had a, a young daughter and she said, could you just come and play for me? And I always said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm coming. So I took a train and I went to Frankfurt and I was playing there. So I was 21, 22. And then I realized um, in some pieces, I just, my technique is not the best. So roles, for example. So things, what you can't imagine nowadays if there's a guy who's playing percussion with 20, that he can't do a real snare drum role. But I couldn't do it. It was really... And so I asked my teacher, the Gaston Sylvester, what about this snare drum role? How should I take the mallets? He said, oh, come on, there are 50 ways to take the mallets. In Bali, you do it like this. And in Sri Lanka, you do it like this. And in Mexico, you take them like this. And just take one. <laughs> yeah, And then just listen to the sound and then you'll find it. Okay, and I was a bit a bit lost there, I have to say. So this means when there were pieces like uh, Ives, Charles Ives pieces, where you just had to do a good role or just just a timpani role, I really couldn't do it. So then I was talking with Rumi, and Rumi said, yes, okay, I have somebody in Mannheim, this was very close to Frankfurt, uh, Vasilios Papadopoulos, he's uh, also one uh, He was one student also from Hamburg, from the Hinze School, where Bernhard Wolf also came. So it was a very much an orchestral uh, really study, which was, I think, he was really he was he was really great because he he really brought out a lot of very good players who were very open minded. Maybe Papadopoulos is not really the person who was very open minded. But he had an incredible technique. He was like this, that when you saw him playing cymbals, he played very much in the radio orchestra in, in Frankfurt. It was incredible. In Mahler, they just recorded it. With Imbal, they recorded the Mahler symphonies. It was incredible. It was really, when he stood up, he really with long hair and really a Greek guy who was just, it was like a miracle. It was really incredible. So this means then I started there to do Paris and Mannheim at the same time. This means I took always the night train coming from Paris to Mannheim, and there was three or four days in Mannheim, and then I went back to Paris. And uh, yeah, I did Goldenberg uh, xylophone school, and I did very hard snare drum mallets, uh, snare drum etudes, uh, uh, a lot of technique, whole day. Uh, quite tough, I have to say, quite tough. Musically, super poor. 
Um, but uh, I started to get really a feeling. What is weight for the arm? What is weight in the fingers? How to treat, how to have different kind of possibilities to, to play staccato, to play legato, things I didn't knew before, which I think nowadays most of the percussion player, they get this with 12 or 13, yeah, because the teachers are just on another level. And this was completely missing to me. It was really a nightmare, I have to say. And so I had this school for two or three years at the same time, time I did my civil service because I should go to military and I, I didn't want to do this. So I did my civil service in a quite interesting um, neighborhood because this was, Mannheim is really a, quite a poor town. And so in the center, there was a a center for young people who mostly immigrants uh, from Turkey or from Syria or from from uh, yeah really poor people in a way and there was uh, also a, a clinic for uh, psychiatric problems and so there was a problem a lot of problems with alcohol so this was for me very how to say I was first behind the bar and then I thought I must do something with the young with the young people and then I established there some some conga courses because at the same time I have to say what nowadays we have in schools if I think now what we try to give the students that we try to open them the world in the way to show them come on it's not only snare drum drumming you have African drumming you have South American drumming you have the whole the whole Indian tradition, you have uh, gamelan music, you have such a lot of things. Just try to, to get just a, a feeling what this is. At this time, this was, in Mannheim, this was not possible. It was just xylophone, snare drum, timpani. This was it. And in a way, it was, I have to say, it was good because it was very clear. Really, the fundamental was, was done there. And so in a way, I, even that after two years, I just broke with him. It was no more possible. I said, I need a change and I wanted to change the school. And then he said, okay, where's your key? Just get out. So it was impossible to discuss with him. Um, this was for me as a teacher nowadays was a super important experience because I thought, well, that's really somebody like this. I never want to be. That's really somebody where I think that's if you close uh, these young people who are open for everything, if you close them like this, this is like prison. So in a way, I really said, okay, that's really not my way. And then I went back here to Freiburg and I started here again. Just uh, in between. So when I was in Mannheim, I realized, so this world of music only snare drum playing, only technique is not my world. So I started to go to Darmstadt and to take their uh, really South American uh, lessons in salsa music and in conga playing. And there was a very, very good teacher at this time, Ralph Mufang, he was called. He has a very good uh, conga school. And this was super interesting. There we, we were a group. I went there every week. And it was super intense just to learn all the Kaskara. And he was really in this scene. There was a good uh, scene because of the American army. They were in Frankfurt. So there was always a South American, let us say, line there in Frankfurt. And so I was working on this. So this was for me super inspiring, I have to say. And this was, in a way, this was my second step. The first step was I was much younger. I was 
1415, there was somebody here in Freiburg, Joachim Uhuru Uhl. So he was really a guy, a, really a very solid Black Forest guy, let us say here. And he was doing here some African uh, drumming courses with Adami Drami, uh, Adami. I'm not sure how I say Drami, but I'm not sure if this is really his name. But uh, somebody from from Ghana. And uh, so he did these workshops and there, there were quite a lot of workshops and I always went there even if I had no djembe but there was a very strong fascination to this. So, um, and I remember that this was for me as 15, 16, this was also, yeah, it was somewhere in a basement, they had a flat and you never knew how many drugs they took already at this morning for this workshop. But I just came there and they accepted me quite, it was very nice, very, very open atmosphere. So, and then there came this, this African drama and he, he had no idea of how to give us lessons in this because for them, if you ask them, but where's the one that he just said, yeah, but you just have to look to the dancer. Yeah, what does he mean? I have to look. Yeah, it's like this. And then he was dancing and said, yeah, it's clear. Yeah, but what is the one? What do you mean, what is the one? For him, there was no one. So I think this, in a way, this always took me out of my concept, what I have to do uh, apart from Delacluse etudes. So just to get an idea that the world is just much more colorful as as I thought until there. And I think these inspiring moments, I always took them and I never... I had the same feeling, which I think a lot of students have these nowadays, that they feel a bit lost in all this because they are too much influences. That's absolutely right. But in a way, I think it's not... I never wanted to be an African drummer because I thought, well, they are, they are so unique. I'm not coming from there. It's fascinating. I want to learn something from this. But in a way, it's not my world. And then with the jazz, it was a bit the same thing, I have to say. I thought, okay... It's really great what they do, but it's not really my thing. So I'm I'm somewhere else. I have to go somewhere else. So that's I think this was important to round off the circle of sort of education experience and being an educator nowadays over the last twenty five years. Maybe you can say something about how this influences your own teaching style and how you maybe your pedagogical worldview. Because you're teaching a class in Basel, you're teaching in Darmstadt, in, in Graz, and so many courses around the world, masterclasses. If you can condense your kind of teaching philosophy. I think that's a very interesting point, And it's still a point where I always think about. I have still don't have really the answer, I have to say. Maybe the m most important thing is really to find out what the student, what he or what she really wants musically, what she or he wants personally. So in a way, we always start with a white paper and we make some drawings. What are your dreams? What do you want to do in 10 years? Where do you want to stand? And then surely that's, that's sometimes these... Um, First uh, scripts, they are not very realistic, but that's very good. I think that's the first step you have to take. And from there, we see, okay, if you want to do this, so then we should do these pieces, then we should go in this direction. 
we should um, have a focus on this, on that. And then we try to schedule, let us say, the year. This is one thing, so the interest of the student. On the other hand, I always try to say them that they should have, if they go out of the school, that they have a, a quite wide range of things. So they, they have to have tools to know what is complexity. So they have to know how to deal with a thing like 13 over 9. So they have to go, they have to work one piece in this direction. They have to work on hand drumming. So they have to think about, okay, what does this mean if I have a conga? What is the difference between the conga playing and the darabuka playing? How can I find there a relation to an instrument which is very close? I have no, st which is very really close to me, which uh, where I have no sticks, which is near my body because often we don't have this relation to an instrument. No, so I always try to push them that they learn a hand drum which is really close, that they really touch it, that they really have a feeling of the skin, that they start to like the instrument which is not just far away which they beat only with sticks so i think that's super important to have this relation then the next step is what about performing how do you perform a piece even even a marimba piece or so how are you on scene so that's very important to play with pieces where you have no instruments where you just let us say in a way naked in front of the public not really naked you still have maybe some clothes on or maybe half naked like in uh, corporal globocar um, so these are important steps just to take how am i performing how do i take it's it's a bit um, actor method no so uh, how do you see somebody from outside um And that's that's very interesting for all whatever you do, even if you do afterwards an orchestral audition, it's very interesting. Then on the next step, it's very important just to get pieces. If the students are coming, they have often an idea to play small setups. Let us say, like Rubon Bexinak is, uh, let us say. Um, like other pieces by, uh, by uh, if it's a piece by Lang or David Lang or somebody else. So smaller setups, but you don't have this feeling of your back. So this means what happens if you have to play this tam-tam, which is hanging behind you? How to get, uh, get a relation? How to get, uh, get a relation to space? I think this opening to the, to the third dimension uh, that's very very important for us because we have a lot of pieces where where we have uh, just a setup which is we are surrounded by instruments and that's i think that's quite a big thing uh, for a student which normally he played only instruments which he sees in front of him and then surely another thing is also music theater so this means to work with speech to work how to pronounce and so it's all things, it's quite complex. It's absolutely right because we have already all these instruments and then it's another steps which you have to involve. So I try really to uh, to give them as much as information as I can. Sometimes I, c 
can't. Sometimes I don't know the. So sometimes I, for example, we have a speech trainer, which she comes uh, twice the years and she's um, or four times the years, two times in the semester to give lessons. That's very, very good things. We have uh, people from the more from the performance for this or from more from the opera side. They come and they give us lessons with music theater. I think there's some things I can I can easily teach some other things. It's very good to have other specialists. And so I try to in the. In the in the conservatory, I really try to get as much inputs from other classes, and that's from other classes, from other teachers, but I have to say also from the students. So I'm really quite proud at the moment that the class is so had such a big variety of people who are interested in such a lot of different things. So some some specialists really only in electronic music. So they they will do now a vers- workshop in two weeks about traducers, transducers and uh, about um, about uh, very, very small microphones which you put into small boxes. Or then I have somebody who's who just did uh, corona videos around his house in Finland and uh, always with different angles and always uh, taking in the environment from, from the outside and trying to find pieces which work with this. And he will do a speech about this. I think these are all s- concepts where I think that the students really, they search for a certain kind of originality, which is absolutely interesting for their later life. But in a way, I don't also don't want to push this too much because it's just to be original. It's it's not everything. So I always try to get them also back to see what are our classics. And I think it's absolutely necessary to know, to have a knowledge about our first solo percussion pieces, uh, apart from, let us say, the development of all the instruments, so historic uh, review to have about not only about the European Western music, uh, so uh, this really starts not even with Mozart, it starts much earlier in, in the Middle Age, but also, um, so to have this influence by the Jarisaran music in Mozart music, so the whole Turkish influence, the Oriental influence, but also to talk about the effects, what what Berlioz, for example, created when he thought about the first mallets making and what are these Harmonizing kind of with timpani and with soft mallets. And, yeah, and yeah. these these mallets, kachuk mallets, uh, so... so than to go over to Mahler, to go to Stravinsky. I think these are very important steps, absolutely. And then to go, to, surely to go to Varez, and then afterwards to think about the first set of pieces, so Cage, Morton Feldman, uh, Karl-Heinz Stockhausen, Helmut Lachenmann. So these pieces, everybody should have played one of these four main pieces, I think. Do you see those as um, more as study pieces to kind of have a, a relationship to the historical repertoire? Or do you think they still have a relevance in the scene? And if so, how do you push them, if at all, in the direction of finding their own voice within those styles that have been played for such a long time? I think um, it's very important that they get a relation to these pieces, to the sound world, because these influence just our our thinking of uh, the next generation, the next pieces which came up in the 70s, 80s, 90s. They really were all influenced by these four pieces. So it's very, very important to know where we're coming from. And then 
to put this maybe it's not interesting to pay play in one evening all the four but maybe to find a relation to these pieces so this means to find a, to build up a program where you can say okay i integrate this in another concept so um if you have maybe only electronic pieces and then inside you have zyklus and you try to maybe even to 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 find a possibility to, to amplify some of the of the things there inside to get another focus or another way you work with light and you try to illuminate this piece in another way or you think about cycle so because cyclus is really a cycle piece so you think about all other pieces which have circles and to find that different kind of aspects i think it's not interesting just to play these pieces again and again and again even for yourself it's super interesting because i think the work uh, clearly um modern feldman king of denmark where you have no sticks in your hand where you just have your hands and you're just touching i think it's a bit the same aspect if like with hand drumming that you really have to go to this direction that you get a contact with your skin to the skin or to the metal or to the wood but you get a relation and they touch the instruments and it's not again this uh the stick what you have in your hand which you beat on something where you have not really um feedback of if you play fortissimo it hurts in the hand and it's just and it's just rough and with, if you have a stick inside it doesn't hurt so i think these these things you have to learn it's it's so so it seems so simple but you really have to to learn this relation and i think that's in all the four pieces so in in lachman it's more the sound world where you really have to get in we have to relate the sounds you have to find with combination of sounds a new aspect and in zyklus it's clear it's really the aspect of just where am i as a performer what should i decide what can i decide is this possible is this not make this is this making sense is this making no sense if i use there let us say another triangle is this good for the piece of practical reasons or of musical reasons or so all these questions which come up and which are super super difficult to answer because you have nobody who will say this and that's also as a teacher i try to help in these first steps but from a certain point i also say okay it's your version now right. i can uh, give you my my opinion but you should do your research and then in a way my goal is really to bring them like this that i propose something say and they say i oh, know maybe no i think i think when i think now about my concept is different and that's great yeah i mean the openness of a lot of uh, percussion works because the the sound research in percussion can go on for a lifetime and of course any interpretation of any classical music can in uh, in a kind of a microscopic sense go on for a lifetime so uh, maybe let's turn the conversation towards uh, how you teach them the more entrepreneurial sides of being a musician because you know we talked about how they build a portfolio how they design their own repertoire and maybe fill in the gaps or not in in the scene as it were um do you have any approaches to how to teach them to get into the to the music scene in terms of getting gigs in the festivals uh maybe even getting a teaching job Uh, have an internet presence, uh, making records, if that makes any sense any longer. Um, do you have a class on entrepreneurship or how to create? Absolutely, organizations? I have this, yeah. and I think there are some things you can help them really general. 
This means uh, the web presence is very important. Just put only videos online where you're really convinced that you have something to say and that it's not another, another, let us say, another recording where we have already 500 because it won't be interesting. That's maybe for you, ego, it's interesting that you are really, you're present. But I think you should, you should add something to these already much too much information we have in the net. You should add something special. And uh, clearly what is special, so again, not to search just only because searching because you want to be special. It's more, it's on your way of your development. I think you should have a good documentation. I think that's the most important thing. So documentation of what you're doing and try to get this on a very high level. And because this is afterwards interesting also to send this out and to get gigs, it's clear. I think it's this kind of networking what you have to do. So you have to be present in the net, but you also should have a personal contact to people. So after Corona, you should try really to get again to the festivals, to listen to music, to talk to the people. That's always a good thing. Surely it's sometimes also from my side, it's frustrating. You write an email and you rewrite the email. You get no answer. You get no answer because some of the people who are doing the programs, who are doing the, running the festivals, they get such a lot of emails every day. They can't respond to every or they don't want to or however. So you always have to try to with a new idea and not to be how to say too pushy but in a way just to remind I wrote already one last 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 month or last year and now I have a new idea I would like to try to introduce you to this to be very friendly but just to send it again and again a Norwegian colleague of mine he always reminded me that one a musician should never be shameful of trying to play their music somewhere <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I think it's not uh, nobody is there just will say, oh, I hate this person, he's old. If you always call for the same thing, it's boring. <laughs> it's clear. So uh, this we all knew know that if you uh, if somebody repeats always the same questions and the same demands, that's not interesting. So you always have to come then with another project. You have to develop the thing. And so that's clear. Web presence is important, but also being present as a person and try to talk and this means for a lot of things so this means if you have uh, if you wanted to solo career surely it's interesting to talk with composers with the programmers uh, to have uh, you have to do your competitions you have to there's a certain kind of things you have to do if you want to go more on chamber music you should meet the other players of other groups you should meet members of other groups you should be there in contact because this just happened like this. You Not only because I think that's very often we have this problem that the students, they feel safe at the beginning, very unsure. They come to the, to the, to the Hochschule, to the Conservatory of Music, and they, f they try to establish a bit their own position, and then it's good. And then inside the Hochschule, the, on the Conservatory, they feel well, but then outside it's another world. So outside, they have stopped their studies. And I think that's super important as a teacher. That's very important to have this in mind, what happens after the studies. So I always try to, one year before, I always try to have them really, what is your plan? What is your plan after the studies? And then they, yeah, sometimes they have an idea. Sometimes they don't have an idea. It's not important that 
everything is clear. But I think during this last year, they have to f to have um, yeah to have some fantasies about what what they really want to do, what which who people which whom they want to connect, and. Because when they have finished the exam, because the last month then maybe is just concentrated of the, on the exam, and then they don't have the time to do, to think about this. So it's afterwards you're in a way you're just alone, and that's super super uh, super boring. And uh, so we have, I think, we have to help this, and that's a bit our uh, really our work as a teacher that we have to come by during these studies to think to the next steps, to think about this long term, maybe just to finish from before. So when I was thrown out in Mannheim, I came back to Freiburg and I was very, very, it was just a great thing that Bernhard Wolf, he just said, okay, come back. It's good. He didn't see me over four or five years and he just said, no, it's good, come back. Okay, he gave me a place and he gave me the opportunity to start again and I'm really very, very uh, grateful for this, that he really just opened the school and said, okay, let us let us see. And surely as Bernhard Wolf, he is he's very philosophical in his way of teaching and he really opens up uh, opens up your your mind and, and, and thinking about music and and there was a good class, so I was very motivated. Somebody was working at this moment or suffer, and I thought, "Why? Well, how is this possible?" And he was really inside, and he there was no idea he was the first who played it here in Freiburg. So, is there a possibility to play really this piece? Is it no? It's that's not possible. So we really tried to, to, to. So I was the second to play this piece, and then I got in contact with younger composers, with Johannes Schellon. So I did. His his Handstücke, this was the creation. So, um, so then I, I found yeah that's maybe my way. That's really my maybe my way of of getting in contact and creating new things. And then I found also a certain kind of liberty which before I didn't see really in this let us see say mainstream jazz world. And I saw okay, there's a possibility to work on. And so, let us say, with this freedom I had here in Freiburg together together with Bernhard, because he opened me some doors that I went then, during the studies, I went to, um, it's uh, Akademie Schloss Solitude, it's a place near Stuttgart where you just live for one year and you're paid and you work together with uh, with sculptures and poets and and uh, You created composers. this beautiful percussion duo. I think with François that's Valin right. and the Carola Barcourt piece, yeah, I remember that's right. the Ingewohnte Umgebung yeah, yeah. number two, number two. Say, yeah, yeah. which is so funny. Yeah. This was still the work together with Françoise Rivalon was coming from the Paris time because she was studying at the same time in Paris. And um, so we always had this idea to do things together and we had a good time. Uh, really, we were quite quite close, but also very different in the way of working. She's a very, very hardworking woman. And uh, really, she never stops. It's uh, this I really learned from her, that you, you just have to go to the end. Uh, and uh, And so, in a way, yeah, there were always a lot of... So we first had a trio, 
together with a, with a, somebody from Geneva, uh, and we were playing more or less the repertoire of Trio Le Cercle. Then we, it was in a way, it was difficult with the trio um, because of time problems. Then we started to do a duo. And um, so I always had these small formations, let us say like this. So where I started also then afterwards started then play, to play in 88. So during my studies still I was playing with Ensemble Aventure and Ensemble here from Freiburg. And then I started also Ensemble Recherche. They asked me to play. And then from maybe 90, they just said, you have to decide now if you want to play this ensemble or that ensemble. It was a bit of a concurrent situation here on the market. So I decided to play with this uh, smaller group, Ensemble Recherche. So we were eight players. So since 88, I'm in, in the group with a small small moment where I thought I should change something in my life because I was I came from Freiburg, well, I studied in Paris, but I had a bit the impression I have to go out a bit, a bit and to see something else. So I went to Musikfabrik for two years and played there in Musikfabrik. And uh, this was a good time. It, the group was very different than today. I think it was much more conducted music, less of chamber music like today. I think today I really admire this group very much. It's really super what they do. But at this time, it was a lot of things were conducted and I was a bit I felt a bit like an orchestra musician I was just there and reading my newspaper when I had nothing to do and I felt a bit oh okay I'm going in a direction I don't like this too much so I went back to recherche just to be more as let us say in a smaller group to be more a solistic player where you have even if sometimes I have to say sometimes there are pieces where you don't have very much to do, but sometimes you have pieces where you have a lot to do. And also the the way of working in a group over so long, uh, such a lot of time, it's really very much like a family. It's absolutely clear. Yeah, You, you know the other people so well. So You're also very close to the artistic decisions, uh, I guess. Absolutely. It's a democratic system where you choose what to play and how to play it. Yeah. So in a way, it's clear, eight musician, uh, you can't discuss everything. That's not possible, and we had times where we had a very clear, uh, let us say, uh, some people who were saying had more to say, and we were very, pre very present, and then we had periods where we tried to do everything, to discuss everything with all eight of us, and this always changed a bit. But it's always a discussion, I would say. We can always, if we have the impression it's not working like that, we try to, we have an office, so that's very good. And so they organize a lot of things and depending of our input. But did you sit down and make a structure for how you were going to rehearse, for instance, or did that just happen as you went? So the decision making, for instance, was it like this player decides this piece or this player takes a responsibility for this piece? It's clear in these small groups, there are always people who have a stronger interest than others because of personal reasons, because of professional reasons. At the beginning, I would say in 88, it was mainly a string trio with a flute and with a clarinet and then with a piano. And then some people went out of the orchestra to play only with Ensemble Recherche, so this changed a lot. I was as a percussion player sometimes on, sometimes not, because surely there were some travel expenses with the percussion transport. I did everything on my own at this point, so over a long period. That's also why I went out of the ensemble uh, after a while, because I said, I can't do this anymore alone. I had my own truck, I did all the travels, and 
surely you know this at the beginning you don't play in the big halls you play in rooms which are on the second floor so you have to transport the marimba upside and you're really done after a tour so I said I won't do this anymore if I don't get a help I'll stop and so they said it's not possible to have a helper because of financial reasons so I stopped and then I went to Musikfabrik and there there were helpers it was much uh, better organized in these ways so uh, when I came back I said I only come back if I have a helper. So I started to have a helper and this was a good thing. That's really a thing. Uh, surely economic-wise it costs money, but this saves me a lot of energy. And I'm sure uh, I always said this to colleagues if I see somebody who is still doing everything, driving, packing, bringing up the instruments. And it's just such a lot of work. And in a way, in the chamber music group, you always have one or two who help you. But helping means also they, if the instruments, the cases are on stage, they help you to build up the, the marimba because when not, the rehearsal will start two hours later. So they help you. It's nice. And I'm super grateful for this, that there were really colleagues who always helped. But the, it's your work. And in a way, that's, I think that's really a thing you have to learn, that if you want to play, also if you do solo concerts, I think you just need somebody because it's your arms it's your hands and after it's you have to do all these virtuosic things you can't do this just if you just unpack the whole van do you have the structure to focus on the music making but then you really manage with ensemble recherche to build this unique structure which i think is very special um you have a small group of people you know that's until recently stayed together as a family You did uh, an immense amount of work throughout the, the late 80s and the 90s, the 2000s. You worked with every thinkable composer, made tons of records, toured the world, played all the concert houses and the festivals. Um, so in a way, it's a success story of a new music ensemble that really did so much work. You have your own ensemble house. We have beautiful rehearsal spaces. You have support from the city, from the region, from... I mean, um, if there is such a thing as the the high point of new music, chemi music making, I guess Ensemble Recherche is maybe that group in Europe. Would you agree? I'm Well, I see this from inside, so I see this a bit, a bit different, that's for sure. But it's clear it's also, um, compared with nowadays... Um, this was also the time you had at this time, so in the 80s, 90s, you had some big groups like Ensemble Underkontobahn, like Ensemble Modern, like Klangform. But these are all conducted groups, so with a, with more a less, difference, yeah. These are all bigger groups. This means the members are between 16 and 24. So uh, it's going more in the direction uh, of an orchestra. And there were not such a lot of small groups at this time running. All the small groups were players who played also in the orchestra, so they did this as a side job. So I think the decision to main, make this as a main uh, income, this was super important for the group. So some people went out of the orchestra and really said, okay, I go on this freelance thing. And... From outside, it sounds like, like as you say, as a as a very uh, successful uh, group, and I think that's like that. If you look to the to the history, but we also had a lot of crisis. It's very very clear. So this means it's not just the thing you see from outside is one thing, but inside we had uh, 
like all the groups, you have a lot of discussions. Why do we do this? Why this repertoire? Why not this repertoire? Why do we work with this composer? No, we don't like this composer. And if you think about this, if we do in the year 60 new pieces, and if there are two of them are really good pieces, then you are happy. And you have, have from these 60, if you have five or six, which you continue to play, that's already a success. So you can imagine the work and the how to say the investment everybody is giving because in a way and I think that's the interesting thing why I always uh, kept on playing with this group is that if the composer is coming and there are some composers some moments where I remember this was really for me a bit the opening things for example Salvatore Sharino he came here he played he wrote this piece Infinito Nero and he came here and he said yes it's it's almost finished was maybe a week before the premiere almost finished but for percussion i still don't know what kind of sounds okay he had a bass drum he had this muffled bass drum sound like heartbeat things stick on stick on the bass drum nice sound okay he had this and then he wanted a bell sound and then we went for one afternoon we went in my studio and i just uh we were just talking about this bell sound he said yes maybe an around an F or F sharp, but maybe both or... Okay, so I took out, I had one bell, a church bell, and a rin, and a tubular bell. And then we tried, over three hours, we tried different kind of melods to produce this sound. And it was super interesting for me, I have to say. There, I really thought, wow, that's really the work I wanted to do. So this means just to take this this uh, mallet from Jerry Burton mallet from the vibraphone to take this on the tubular bell and then uh, another mallet from a muscle mallet from on the here on the ring and then change them now it's better like this now it was more interesting like this maybe we should change the the F ring to G ring. Okay, now I still have another one which is in Okay, we tried out all the possible. And he was just sitting there and said, Yeah, okay, maybe it's more. Now it's more like this. And there I really felt that suddenly I had a space inside of there, inside of this sound searching, because he gave me this space. What do you think? He always said, What do you think? Is this more? Well, I don't know. You're the composer. But yes, but you're the player. So what do you like more? <laughs> So this was for me super inspiring, I have to say. It gave you the creative space to contribute. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And we should also add for interested uh, readers that you later came to write a book about the techniques of percussion playing and uh, mallets and all these special designs that you uh, got from your hands-on experience with composers. That's right. And maybe this came from this experience, just of knowing that... Um, just the way, surely the way we play, the whole movement coming from the arm is super important. And maybe this could, should, could be uh, an ex-book now of, of the movement of the, of the body. But then I, start, I started in a way, somebody asked me, don't you want to do a book about percussion? I said, yeah, in a way it's a nice thing because we have these masterworks, I think, but they, they are all from the 60s or from the 70s. So I thought maybe it's good to do about new techniques and percussion. Then, but then I realized it's such a lot of work. So I should reduce it to one thing. And then I thought, okay, it's just about advices. 
And I thought, okay, we just talk about mallets. And then I thought, okay, it's not only about mallets. It's also about electronic items which you can use. And it's also about brushes. And it's a lot a lot of things. Suddenly it, it got very, very big, the theme. And then I said, okay, I can't do this. This whole project was a project of about 10 years of, re of research. Because in a way, we started then to record sounds. And then we thought, okay, recording is nice, but that is really help. We should do videos. And so then, in a way, I thought, I can't do this alone. So I took um, uh, Michel Roth together. He's somebody from my department in Basel, a composer. And then I took an ex-student, Jens Ruland, inside the, the boat. And we tried to do this together. And that was, in a way, this was for me very helpful. Um, just to work in groups. I think this was for me in the whole uh, way I'm doing my experience in music is always very helpful not to always try to do everything alone, just to get help and to be to try to establish teams which you you're working with because yeah I need this I need this it's it's a bit I would I think when not I my head was just would explode because it's just too much things. So I like these team team models. So also maybe that's something which is interesting then in the history. So when I started then during my studies to play with Recherche and then some years later in 94, I started to play with the Trio Canto, which was a formation at this time. Uh, so it's saxophone, piano and percussion. It's still like this, but at this time it was uh, Yukiko Sugawara Lachemann, who was the piano or piano player, and uh, it was a very, I think, very inspiring group for me, super important, because in a way I was m a bit more solistic than in the Ensemble Recherche, and together with Markus Weiss, the saxophone player, who is now a colleague with me in Basel, and so we really had very, very good and inspiring constant. We always did creation, that's clear, because there was no repertoire. Then, uh, so some years ago, uh, Yukiko, she said it's just too much for her. She would like to stop. And when then we took in uh, Nicholas Hodges, who's just an absolutely great player. And this changed also the group. Now it's a man group. It's only three men. So we have another uh, different energy. And so these two worlds, in a way, was always inspiring for me not to have only one family but to do a bit different things in the in the chamber music world but but then in a way i really stopped to play the bigger ensembles because then suddenly i found yeah it's just i don't have all the time i can't do everything and that's i think that's very important and this how to say to reflect what is important for you now And I think that's for the younger student, that's super important. You have all these possibilities and maybe sometimes it's too much. And I don't think that there's a wrong... If I look back, there was not a wrong thing. I'm, sometimes I went to Zurich and to take tabla lessons with a teacher. And when I went there, I thought, well, I didn't train enough. It was just I didn't really have the time because there were too much other things running. But it was so inspiring what he teached me about rhythm language. And I came back and I thought, wow, that's soup. that's really great. He's a, such a good tabla player and I really would like, but I don't have the time. So in a way, I just took this inside of my whole thinking. And I think that's maybe the most important thing. You, Whatever you do, do it with your whole energy and don't think about the things which 
pass by which you can't do. It's it's not important. It's most important is to take out of this, uh, to try to take out of this really the essential. And even if afterwards you won't be this player, but try to take this energy and try to, to bring this in your world. And at the end, it's a big mix of a lot of things. And But I think that's the most interesting thing. It's um, You can't do everything that's absolutely clear and you should not always just hesitate while thinking, oh, I'm working this now, but I should also work the vibraphone. No, I should know what about the marimba? What is about the, the snare drum? Oh, I forgot to work simple. So that's a nightmare, I think. And so in a way, I learned this, that when you do this, just do this. This is the principle of Zen meditation. Absolutely. Just be concentrated on this. And afterwards, two hours later, or maybe one week later, or maybe one year later, or maybe 10 years later, you'll realize, okay, I really forgot this. And this was for me a super important point when I was around, this was 2004. It started maybe a bit earlier. So I was already 35. I realized... Um, It was in it was around this time, yeah, in thirties. I got a possibility to play in a tour, Rising Star tour. It was in the whole uh, over Europe or the world. It was the big uh, concert halls. They offered me to play a solo concert, and I thought, well, that's great, it's super. What would I play? And then I looked back and I thought. Well, I could play Lachman Antayer, I could play Donatoni Oma, I could play the Hanse piece, I could play Globo Cartouche, maybe Corporel, maybe Apergis. So I had, like I'll say, 10 pieces where I really thought, that's nice. But then afterwards I thought, yeah, but um, okay, I'm playing such a lot of creations with ensembles, but I don't have really a solo repertoire. So in a way, during this tour, I realized I should ask and, and then somebody said to me yeah why don't you do more younger newer pieces and I said I don't know really newer pieces I'm not sure if so I was I really recognized then that I should have this responsibility to create also new pieces because in a way I'm one of the new generations players and I'm already 35 so I should really take care that we get another repertoire that's a very interesting point I, I have the same experience that when you learn a lot of repertoire from the historical canon you get some sort of um, what's the word in English I don't know yeah. that, that what, what can you possibly contribute that's worthwhile and I think it's super important so at the moment if I if I make the year plan for a student or if we do it together then I always say you have to have these classics in your repertoire. You sh should really do this. But then you should also have uh, composer pieces which were done in the last five years. And then you should have pieces which you create. Because that's the future for you. Because you will only get, only get concerts a bit too much, but you will get important concerts only because you're related to composers. I think it's surely it's very interesting to play all this repertoire it's it's good but there's always somebody who will has done this already and who is the first name and you should you should learn from this absolutely that's that's our beethoven so it's clear our Kanakis and and lachemann and stockhausen that's that's our tradition these are our pieces by haydn beethoven and and mozart and chopin these are our composers 
And we don't have very much. That's a very, very sad story about this. And that's also why we should really move on to create good pieces, because we have a lot of pieces which are really not very interesting musically, not for the music, which are interesting to learn the instrument, but not interesting musically. And no big hall will ask you for these pieces. I don't want to name them at the moment, but there is such a lot of repertoire, which is very often played in competition, which is very much played in all these uh, meetings, percussion meetings, where you have just have very, very, very musically, very sad and bad repertoire, which is just just good to learn the instrument. Absolutely right. Absolutely necessary. Because we don't have these etudes by Scarlatti or things like this, which is or Paganini, which is also great music. Yeah, which is super virtuose, but it's also good music. And so we don't have this. So that's that's quite a difficult uh, situation, I think. So that's super important that we have to go on there to really to establish that everybody is establishing his own repertoire and bring on this. Kurz vor 10 Uhr um die Leiche herum. Schlag. 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 Auf Schlag, Schlag, auf Schlag, Seitenschlag, auf Schlag, den Seitenschlag, auf Schlag, beiden Seitenschlag, auf Schlag, von beiden Seitenschlag, auf Schlag. Ah, 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 ah. You mentioned uh, web presence and, uh, of course, recorded media. How, what's your take on the on the whole recording industry in classical or in new music? Um, was that ever an, an economy for you in your career? And is it still an economy in in that, like in in, in terms of um, that being an important part of your your work? Um, and how, how has that changed for you? Because you still produce quite a lot of records. Like, do you still even believe in the physical object of of an album? Very interesting question. I think this. For the younger generation, it's much more obvious that it's no more interesting. I think they're maybe I or the groups I'm playing with is still a bit old-fashioned. But it's clear 10 years ago, you could earn some money with doing a record. At the moment, you just invest. So you have to... Um, I'm still there. I produced a solo CD two years ago, and I still think, should I invest now these 5,000 euros for my solo CD? It's more or less all done. Should I invest this money? Yes or no? I still don't know. And it's it's a bit, at the moment, the publisher, he's a bit um, he's a bit unsure. And so I don't push it very much. I don't know where this really ends. Um, but it's also a shame. It's a certain kind of, of object which you have. And it's different if you just uh, stream it somewhere or if you just go to... You download it from somewhere. It's different, so it's it's an it's an object you have in your hand. So I still believe in this in a way. But on the other hand, I have to say, is it really for the students? Is it really worth? So I think I'm a bit, a bit the last generation where where we think it's it's still important to do this. And this depends also a bit on the groups. I play in these two formations with Ensemble Recherche where we still do CDs, but not we don't invest too much money for this. With the Trio Acanto, we until now we were still producing CDs and we invested some money in so it's always a discussion in the group also. I have a position for my own work, but in the group it's always 
yeah, you have to discuss it. What do you feel are the pros and the cons of making a real professional audio production of, of a piece? Well, it's clear if you go to a studio and if you have really the whole technique there, it's quite amazing what they do just because it's their job. It does so, something to your interpretation as well, right? Because you hear absolutely. so much more detail absolutely. than in a just a, a concert recording. Yeah, yeah. So I'm much more aware of all the details. So for some things I need just, I remember, I was completely shocked when I do a rec did a recording of Zyklus and I needed 16 minutes and I said, shit, normally I'm really much quicker because I was just so, I tried to wear everything right. And surely that's a big risk. Because in a concert situation, you play more on the whole and you don't try to focus on these just these small, small, small details. Where surely if somebody has played the piece, he can say, yes, but this was not the second tom-tom, this was just the third tom-tom. Or this rim shot didn't work really. So what do you want, uh, what do you do with this perfection? I think for me the, personally, the studio work is, I really like this very, very much. I like to be in a studio alone it's silent and you just produce the thing and you have this focus and this concentration. I think that's super, super worthwhile just to be aware what you produce. And then in a way, it's very, very different if I just put some two mics in the room and I don't have this technical uh, help by somebody not only for cutting or giving inputs from outside. So I think the whole recording um, uh, recording method really learned me such a lot i have to say can you mention uh two or three records that really changed your life <laughs> or that that you felt uh, changed your practice into something better yeah i have to say that the work together with helmut lachemann on on uh, interior this really changed a lot for me because not this only is 1995 95 um, I played the piece already several times, so I knew it quite well. I played it on a tour, and I felt comfortable with the piece. Then he had some, surely he had quite a lot of new ideas, which was good. And then also during the the process of recording, he was there, and he also had other ideas. This was also very inspiring, so I was really, make, my head was exploding in a way, because I had such a lot of things to think about. But... It was very good. And then what was interesting afterwards, he sent me a whole list of more or less 30 or 40 points where he said, it's really great, this recording. But maybe here, this or that or that or that. So I thought, wow, this just never never if, if you do a good recording and you are happy and the composer was happy, if he re-listens the thing again, yeah, there are still points. And I think this to learn this, that this product is not... Um, just the end of something it's not the beginning but it's during your process you do some recordings and then this doc is a documentation of this moment and maybe you will do this very very different i know there's maybe a second one it's claude vivier um the saint chanson it's called the piece so it's for a lot of um balinese instruments indonesian instruments And uh, so I was asked by Harry Vogt for the VDR to do this recording because he wanted to do a CD about Claude Vivier. So I started the piece and uh, I very soon I realized, well, I don't have all the instruments, all these uh, Balinese gongs. 
they were very difficult to get and so I asked in all the uh, all the gamelan ensembles which were here around let us say in around 100 kilometers I asked them could I get this gong and that gong and then I got some also from far away and I had all the instruments it was working but some were rattling so during the recording we had the problem we were in Cologne and some of the instruments were rattling what what can I do okay then I filled him some hot water boiled water and just to give another tension on the metal and then in a way during the recording for two or three minutes it was no more rattling and you can imagine, so I was really, while cooking in the kitchen, some hot water to put it inside to dry the instrument, to bring it back. So the recording was, it was really special. And now if I listen to the piece now, I would play it so differently. Yeah, because I was in a way so focused again on this playing all the notes to make everything right. I think that I didn't got really the gesture of the piece. I was too much in details. So I think... Um, this came then later when I, I heard the recording. I was a bit shocked. I thought, okay, it's right, but it's in a way it's right. But is this interesting? So, uh, I, and I think that's very, very important to to get, yeah, to get this flow into the music. Was know? there a certain fright connected to doing that piece on the record? And because you've played it live, and then you probably have a different approach. Absolutely, I think that's always a good thing. That if you have done, have you played the piece? 10 times live, then you're much more safe. Are you someone who prefers to play it as if it's live on record? You, you prepare the whole piece and you play as long parts as possible or do you prefer to chop it up? I come a bit from this tradition that uh, you look for all the details and but you have the whole thing in your mind. So we did just with the trio, we did a Christian Wolf CD last year where it's a lot of things are free, a lot of things, choices can be made in the moment. So that's very, very interesting because there, in a way, you can't really cut because somebody will go maybe there or will will do this or that. So we had to do just much longer takes. This was very, very good experience because in a way, I like this more. I come from this tradition to have everything right, everything correct for the recording, every measure uh, to take it in detail. But at the end, I think the whole thing it's you can get lost so quickly that afterwards you don't feel the tension because it's too much bits so maybe it's more interesting to do the whole thing first and then if there are really things you can try to get them in or to get them out some accidents which happened
what you feel is a driving force in your own playing. You wrote a whole book about sound research and percussion. What is your view on the next development in this direction? Is there a point where there's enough sound research or where it gets uh, pointless? What is still fascinating for you in in the world of percussion and in the world of music in a broader sense? In a way, the older I get, less interested I'm in just in technique or in virtuosity. That's no more my thing, I think. that's This has changed a bit. So um, I'm still very interested in sound, I have to say. So that's still a thing to explore. And there's a question, is, this, is there an end for this sound research? For me personal, not really, because the questions always change. So um, let us say the question of reproducing things. So if you do today, you do, you do a, a piece about, let us say, about insects, about sound of insects. That's surely it has. It's also a political statement. So so it's clear that if you just think about these small insects, which uh, they lose a bit the space in our world, just to be free. So that's a theme. Or if you think about other themes uh, about environment, if you do a piece about uh, the melting glaciers, for example, the sound is amazing. The sound, what these glaciers do, it's really incredible. I just heard a radio emission about this. It was just wow, I thought, what is this sound if they break now? It's so beautiful, so nice, but so scary also. So I think these questions, um, surely you could have done also a production about about the melting glaciers uh, 20 years ago because they were melting already. But now it has another question. So, I th And I think that's very, very important for the, for the next generation just to... To, we had these discussions uh, in the 60s, we had these discussions again uh, 20 years ago about political music, what is political music, should an artist make political music. It's clearly that all the statesmen we do during our performance, which are political, that's always a bit too plakative. So it's just too obvious. It's too, it doesn't really f fit into our thing. I would say what aspect of it the sensuous aspect yeah absolutely yeah absolutely I think but there there's in a way it's really like that that you find a lot of themes where you can enter as an artist uh, with a theme where you're aware and where you show that you're aware of our environment and you can reproduce this or bring this in a direction where you show that you are aware of these things and that you then you make the people just uh, listen to these problems that art is not out of society i think that's very very important so about censorship it's very important to think also about yourself what do you do as an artist where do you go as an artist do you go to china yes or no is it important for the world there that you that you come there with maybe another repertoire is it important or is it just just another thing which which nobody sees there. So the, I think these these questions are super important for us. How much as a as a artist should you travel nowadays? What about uh, just your 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 footprint? What you give to the world uh, when you just have every week you have a plane to take to play in this festival on that festival? Is this necessary? Is it good? Is it important? 
these are questions I think we really have to think about and uh, we have to ask ourselves, is this important? So I, I ask myself this very, very often when I'm invited for juries somewhere far away. Let us take again China. So is it important that I travel there for three days to be sit there in a jury? I don't think it's important. I don't think it's, it must not be me. Is it so? These questions, I think it's very, very important because surely we have also this responsibility uh, for our environment, for our living. And we just can't say, yes, I was engaged and I'm an artist, I have to go there. I think you you have quite a lot of possibilities. And that's now because of the corona uh, crisis. I do now a lot of workshops in uh, next week there, for example, in Spain, where normally two years, three years ago, I would have taken a flight to there and I would have been there for two days and then come back. I can do this very easy here via Zoom or via... Surely we have another presence, no question about, and I don't want to miss this situation I don't want to go back to the situation of teaching only with Skype or via Zoom. I think it's not for the students in the long term. It's really not interesting. But surely you can do a workshop like this. You must fly over the whole world just to do this workshop. I think that's not reasonable. How do you regard the interest for the music that you do seen from today's perspective as opposed to when you started in the 80s? Uh, and uh, where do you see it going over the next 10 to 20 years? Uh, it's very, very clear that I still come from this starting point where electronic music was done by bigger studios and was not done by the musician or by the performer. So uh, that's very clear that for nowadays, as a percussion player, you have to be aware that you have these post-technical possibilities to work with transducers, to work with mics, just to put this uh, this thing inside. Your this should be just another another instrument for you. I think that's very very clear. And we didn't have this thirty forty years ago. It was just there was always coming a te technician who helped you to to build up the things. Has the um, possibility that everyone can have a studio in their home in their own bedroom? Uh, the internet, the um, accessibility to everything made the do-it-yourself aspect more important to build a career. Can we even see future new music uh, musicians create their own festivals and not, not even care about the institutionalized festivals and even just go beyond the curatorial filtering and just don't even look in that direction. But that, that has been so important for your generation, maybe for my generation, to kind of come through the filters of the festivals and the institutions and the record companies. Uh, do you see that uh, falling apart somehow? Or, or do you see it being possible to reject that altogether and just create your own little community based on internet? I think this is working already. No, there are some people who already... Uh make their money just being influencers in the uh, and they don't play concerts they just uh, show things in the internet i think there are people who are doing this you made me sound like an old timer now yeah 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 um i haven't really thought I, for me it's no way and also for the students i'm not sure if i really would like to see them there because in a way i think Music making is a thing to be with somebody in a room and to feel the vibes and to have this 
I don't know if it's really interaction, but to be presence, I think it's important. I don't see everything online in the yeah, future. Maybe, maybe that was a bad formulation for me. I, I didn't mean that everything should happen in the internet, but uh, as a way of building uh, international communities without the travel, maybe. And uh, of course, you can have things happening physically, and the, the concert is still an important event. But I meant more as a way of avoiding the festivals, uh, curatorial take on things, where they exclude as much as they include. Absolutely right. And this I see completely. There are groups now who try to get their own. They search for their own financial budget and they uh, just... We have this in Switzerland very, very much because a lot of concerts happen very different uh, like in the rest of the world. Maybe in Holland it's a bit the same. So you, you try to get money from different organizations to make your tour... And so you're completely independent of what you do, not where you do it, because that's, in a way, it's required that um, if you get the money from this foundation, then you should do this concert there and there and there. But you're free in the programs. So that's very, very positive. It's a lot, a lot of work. Absolutely clear. Um, but this produces a lot of possibilities. And I think this will come more in the rest of the world. I absolutely uh, agree on this. But it's surely at the moment still the festivals and mainly the radio festivals, they have much more money. So I think you should not ignore this market. I think you should be present there and you should try to get uh, their possibilities to perform there because, yeah, they have more... Also, they have more, it's clear they have not, not, not only more money and not only the technical stuff to organize the concert, but it's also clear they have more press there. They have more, just more attention. It's clearly that if you have their performance, it's something else if you produce your own festival. But I think that's very, very important for us as musicians to be also your organizer and to think about what could I do or... What small festival? Because what means a festival? A festival is already if you do, if you do every year, you do one concert at the same place. It's in a way, it's already a festival. So, so and you have such a lot of contacts, or you get such a lot of contact as students that you can easily do something um, on your own. And I think don't risk these steps. This is important. Risk these steps. Just don't think that somebody will call you and say, okay, do you want to take over this festival or do you want to play on this festival? Do it on your own. I think that's that's very important. If this works out economically, that's then another thing. But I think that's f also for an organizer, it's super impressive to see somebody, okay, he's doing his concert series there since only, okay, but since two years, okay, and he's doing five concerts a year and it's one space and it seems to be a series, whatever you do there. I think that's that's very. You have this initiative, and you just you just do it, and don't wait, don't wait for the possibilities. Just do it on your own. I think that's very very good aspect. Very cool, Christian. Thank you so much for uh, these two long conversations. Uh, one final question: What is the next project that you really look forward to, and where can we hear it? Very good question. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what is the next project? Yeah, okay, let me just think about it. Let me look once in the calendar. I'm too much in the... Oh, yeah, okay. We have, with Ensemble Recherche, we have quite interesting project at the moment. It's, uh, it's called Urban Sound. It's about gentrification. Um, and we will do a small uh, visit in, uh, in the east. So it's uh, in Zeitz, it's called. It's a smaller town, which at the moment is it's near Dresden. So there seems to be a community of artists which live there. And because the, just the rent is very, very low. And so they just occupy a bit this village where in the east of Germany, there are a lot of villages where at the moment they're really abandoned because the people, they don't find any more work. So some artists take their place. Oh, it was actually, this was the effect, it, effect 20 years ago in Berlin. Then afterwards it was Dresden. Now Dresden also is coming, or Leipzig is also becoming quite expensive. So they go to smaller village. And we try to do there a project about, um, about urban sounds. This means we try to reflect a bit the, the history, what happens in this town. And we try to see, okay, what has happened with this effect? What has gentrification to do with new music? I think that's a very, very nice theme. We were talking a lot uh, with uh, architects, with planners of the city, how to build up a new, how to modernize, let us say, uh, uh, an older older houses, what to do, what to take care of, that it's just not only the money which counts, how to build structures in towns which will will change. And this means also for us as musicians, as artists, because often in this process of gentrification, we are very important because there in these uh, abundant uh, squares, you find a lot of space, so you you integrate there your, your, your working space for some years and then afterwards the whole square will change, it will be modernized, and afterwards you can't afford. So for us as artists, it's very important to take care of these of these changes. And uh, so I, we want to go into this with two composers and with the research with the ensemble. So I think that's interesting. It's interesting to, to come a bit away from these just other new pieces, but to build them a context for this. And to build these contests and to see also your responsibility as a musician in this in this world. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-